All right. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 119, please. Thank you, Pastor Donnie and team. Great job as usual. Such beautiful truths we sang this morning. Friends, Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died for sinners. Okay, I go sit down now. That's, that's it. That's it. That's it. A few of you would have been happy if that was. <laughs> well, my sermon length committee back there have voted. Have voted. Psalm 119. Before we read this, and we'll be looking at verses 65 through 72. 65 through 72, this is section 9, represents the letter T in the Hebrew alphabet. Each one of these in this longest chapter of the Bible, it goes through the, the different letters of the alphabet. There's, there's a lot of poetry and pattern to this, but it all centers upon the, the Word of God. The psalmist writes this song about the Word of God. So this morning's message has to do with the integrity of God and the response of man. Let's pray together. Father, as we, as we read your word, God, may it be a mirror into our lives and into our souls. And may it be a light shining bright on you. Father, when we look at ourselves, there's sin, there's weakness, there's imperfection, there's confusion, there's so much that lacks desire, but when you turn our eyes toward you, amazing things happen because you're amazing. Life happens. I thank you, God, for the gift of salvation that you give to us. And if there's anyone in this room, God, maybe they've had their experience of church, they've had Christian culture, but they haven't had that relationship with you. They haven't had that true repentance and rejection of their sin and that love of You, that love of, of faith and trust in You. I pray, God, that You would give them that life today, that they would turn their life over to You and that they would trust You and Your Son for salvation. He died to set sinners free. But not all sinners, just the ones who trust in Him. And so I pray that no one would leave this room today, God, with their eternity in jeopardy, no one would leave with, with death as their name tag, but they would leave with life and with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Psalm 119. Now, before we get into this section, I just kind of want to do a, a little review of some previous messages that, that Pastor Adam has, has gone through. <clears throat> we're, gonna go, we're going through this section by section. Uh, here's some previous messages that we've looked at, and not to put words in Adam's mouth, but just kind of boiling down what he's, what he's done the last four weeks. And, and remember, in between that, we're skipping chapters, so this is section nine, but in between that, we're, we're doing the, the Wyatt Primer, which is that daily email we get that, that does a, a, a study, a daily study of the, the chapters that are in between. So we've covered more chapters than this, but, but look at the four messages and how they center around the word the de uh, delight is found in the Bible. Uh, the Bible guides us amid attacks in life. The Bible leads us to life. And the Bible brings true comfort. And so there are some differences 
in what we're looking at. And today we're going to look at the integrity of God and the response of man as it's connected to the Word. Now, let's read this text together, and if you want to, you can look on the screen or you can read uh, in your Bible, but, but notice what I've underlined in these sections as we read uh, these, how many is it? Eight verses, okay? So let's, let's read that. We can go to the next slide. I want to. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart, I will observe your precepts. Their heart is covered with fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And I did not underline your word in, in verse 65, but you'll see in each one of those verses, there is a connection to the word. He is grounding everything he's saying or connecting it in some way to the Bible, to the word. Uh, he uses uh, your word, he uses that twice. He uses the word statutes two times. He uses the word law two times. He uses commandments once. He uses precepts one time. And so there'd be great value in looking into each of the nuances and, and particular meanings of these synonyms, okay? He, he has a reason for using them, but, but we're not going to be able to do that uh, this morning because of time's sake. But in general, he is using these words to refer to the communication to us that the Almighty God is graciously and miraculously giving, given us in His Word, the Bible, Okay? The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. Can you help me finish it? I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Bible. Uh, some different versions have that. That's one of the earliest songs that, that we teach our kids, that we know. What a wonderful song. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. What an amazing and a wonderful blessing and a responsibility that God has given us His Word. Every day we wake up with the miracle of the Bible. Sitting on our nightstand or in our bookshelf or in our car or in the lost and found at the church. You know, by the way, there's a few Bibles out there you might want to go, go look, look for it. I, I've done it too. I'm not shaming anybody. I've had a few in there myself. But wh what a blessing it is for us to have the Bible especially when there are so many nations and languages and tongues and peoples on planet Earth that do not have a single verse of the Bible in their language. What a treasure that we have. What a grace. This is the book that stood the test of time. It has been preserved accurately throughout the ages and has shaped history. This book is the anvil that has worn out many a hammer. It has been testified to and it is testified to man by its supernatural, of its supernatural nature with its 7,000 prophecies and fulfillments, with its internal consistencies from 40 different authors, three different languages, three different continents over a 1,500-year period, all saying the same thing. There is no ancient book, there is no book today that can testify to such supernatural 
purity and preservation. Man, miraculous message. There's nothing like it. It's been verified by history, by geology, by geography, by archaeology, by cosmology, anthropology, and just about any other ology you can think of. And his testimony throughout the ages is that it reveals God and thus changes our lives for now and for eternity. Abraham Lincoln said, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. This morning, the psalmist would say something similar in the ninth section of this psalm, as we'll discover. He loves the Word of God. Do you? Do you? Do you love? Do you love? Do you really? Do you really, really love the Word of God? Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Peter, he asked him three times, and he was, he was so grieved by the end. I'll do, I'll do a similar thing today. Do you, do I, do we love the Word of God, do we really love it? I pray that we do. This man does. This morning we're going to draw out four truths connected to the Word or, or that happen by the Word that He reveals. Four, four truths. The first is that God displays His integrity. According to His Word, God displays His integrity. Verse 65, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. In other words, God, you've been good to me. A lot of us have said similar things like that. God, you've been good to me. You've acted well towards me. But that's not all. He says, according to your word. According to your word. Now, that's interesting. Integrity can be defined, you, you read different definitions. I had a football coach tell me one time that integrity is being the same person when no one is around. And, and for me, that was, that was very beneficial. There's a number of reasons why that definition can, can really help a lot of people out. It's, it's not putting on a face. It's, it's being consistent when people aren't around. But I would take it a step further and say that integrity is being a righteous person all the time. It is being a righteous person all the time. It is having that good and desirable character in all situations, no matter the circumstances. Now, if we're honest, you and I struggle with this, some more than others. If you're a lost person this morning, you don't know Christ, you don't have the salvation of Jesus, this inconsistency of character, this lack of integrity, which is sinfulness, it's enough to condemn you to hell. It's, it's a just condemnation of your life. That's an offense against God. He has integrity, you don't. And if you're lost this morning... You're in danger of your own condemnation and punishment before God. There's no way around it. You can finesse it and relabel it and call it whatever you want. It's just plain old sin. And sin must be punished and God is good and just and He will stand on the throne one day and He will judge men by their deeds, whether good or bad. If you're a believer in Christ... You've trusted in that free gift of salvation. You've, your sin has been covered. Your inconsistency still, your lack of integrity still, is evidence of your ongoing need for Christ. Of my ongoing need for Christ. 
and of God's sanctifying grace that should drive us continually to Him like a needy child is to a parent. Anybody in the room have needy kids? Kids ever need anything? Grandparents need kids? Oh my goodness, there's so much we can learn just from the parent-child relationship about the Christian and God relationship. So it's, it, it points to our great need every day for God's grace. But with God Himself, there is no lack of integrity. All the pieces line up. Everything is consistent. Everything is in order. Everything is as it always has been and always will be. Now the psalmist knows this because he's been reading his Bible, the Bible that he has access to. He didn't have it all at this point, which is even more impressive. Things have happened in this man's life and around him and, and, and God. He's observed that God has done some things to him. And he's gone back into God's Word and he's discovered that it's all consistent with what God has revealed about himself. That's integrity. So in other words, he's reading what is happening in life and he's not going back and challenging God. He's not going back and blaming God. He's reading the Word and he's saying, okay, that makes sense. God is, God is justified. God has integrity. It's right here. God is who He says He is. He acts the way that He says He will act. And it's right there in the Word of God. What a blessing that we have to be able to know God's integrity. Now let me chase something for a moment. The opposite is true also. When a society tries to have Christianity without knowing their Bibles, they won't know God. And they won't know what God is like. And they will invent things. And they will corrupt things. And they will, they will come up with quotes and cliches that are ridiculous and misrepresent God and aren't true. And they will follow the common wisdom of the culture rather than the Word of God. And they will, in the end, be worshiping a false god, a god of their own imagination or the culture's imagination. They will lean too much on these cliches and quotes and feelings and they will leave the facts which are in Scripture. And it will manifest itself in the form of anything from, in a lesser degree, funerals. I've been to funerals and people will say things like, well, they're an angel in heaven now. Well, they're a beam of light. Well, they're frolicking with Jesus now. There's all, the, all these kind of things that they, you know. All the way to more serious things, such as in 2015 when a pastor at Bethel Church, which is a mega church famous for their music, had a youth pastor named Seth Dahl, who stood before a congregation and said he had a vision of Jesus where Jesus asked for his forgiveness. You can't make this up. You can't make this up. Jesus needs to ask forgiveness for nothing. He is sinless. And so we, 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 we have to be on guard for this. And of this. And friends, you might not say that, but you still need to be ready. You need to be on guard. You need to be in the Word. We all do. Satan's still doing what he did in the garden. When he went to Adam and Eve, and he used the things of this world... And he told lies and he questioned what God has said. Has God really said? And the way we stay on track is by being disciplined to be 
in God's Word. Soldiers continually train. So should Christians. And this is where we need to come together as a team. And we stir one another up to love and good deeds. We stir one another up just like we're doing here where we are, we are encouraging one another to study the Bible. And Adam is doing things. He's working so hard on this, this Wyatt primer to provide for everyone something to study daily. And there are others in this church that are, that are doing Bible studies in Sunday schools. This is all designed to keep us on track, to make us an army fit for the battle. But you have to have discipline in your own life. We all do. The Word must be woven into our lives and we must not conceive of a thing or think anything about God apart from what is in His Word. And when we do that, the brightness of God's integrity and how He's always been who He says He's been shines through the darkness and the confusing times. God displayed His integrity when Joseph was sold into slavery. Here you have, you, have, you have Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery. And at that moment, I don't know about you, but I, in my sinfulness, would have been really questioning God. God, are you real? Is, is this right? What is going on here? But later on, God vindicates Himself. He displays His integrity. He said, you know what? This was a part of my plan. They meant it for evil, but I always meant it for good. I am in the ultimate control of this circumstance. And I meant it for good. And so he displays the fact that he was loving Joseph the whole time. That he was having mercy on Israel the whole time. Even though difficulty was present. So God displays His integrity. We also see that God disciplines those He loves. God disciplines those He loves. Look at verse 65 again. You have dealt well with your servant. God has dealt. He's done something according to your word. Verse 71, It is good for me that I was afflicted. It is good for me that I may learn your statutes. Why can't life just be easy? You ever said that? Why can't life just be easy? Or it's always something. Why can't life just be easy? Maybe you've asked this of yourself, or you said this, at some point. And it can, be, it can be discouraging dealing with difficulties. But most of us who know God's Word, we understand the truth that difficulties for us fall into two categories. They, they fall into two categories. Either it's sinfulness in the world and in our lives that's trying to hurt us, even sin that we've committed. It's sinfulness that's trying to hurt us. The goal is to hurt us. Or... It's God's discipline which is trying to help us. Those are really your only two categories. It's either sin trying to hurt you or God's discipline helping you. Let's talk about affliction. Look, look in verse 67. The psalmist mentions that he has gone astray from God and His laws before he was afflicted with something. We don't know here what that is. We don't know what he has been afflicted with, what God has, has hit him with. In 65 or 65, he mentions, though, that God dealt well with him. And in 71, he mentions that this affliction was for an ultimate good to him. So this implies that the affliction was a part of God's plan to turn this wandering sheep around, to save his life from wolves, from death, from himself. 
And now the psalmist is thankful. And that's what he's singing about. Donnie mentioned Job earlier. You know, I don't know what, I don't know what you've been through lately. I don't know if it's, a, if it's a product of your own sin or if it's cancer or sickness or the death of a loved one or, or whatever. A confusing time, a job situation, a bad relationship. I don't know. But don't be angry at God. And don't blame Him. And don't doubt Him. I think Job is a great witness to us with all that he was afflicted with. And at the end, he experienced true blessing from God. He said, I had heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. And Job repented in dust and ashes because he realized he didn't know what he was talking about when he was talking about God. But God was merciful and revealed Himself. And now Job understood. He saw this integrity He understood God's discipline in his life and how God had brought him from from one place to a much better place. And he says, now my eye sees you. I see you. God is not a Santa Claus. He doesn't act like a Santa Claus. That's what we want. That's the cultural Christian God. God, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to do this. Just bless what I'm doing. God is the genie in the bottle. God is the counselor just walking with us, approving of whatever we want to do. That's the cultural vision of Him. But God is not this Santa Claus. God acts like a wise and loving Father. And He's shaping us. And He's molding us. And He's discipling us for our good. And speaking of Israel, Moses said this to the Israelites as they wandered through the desert. Remember that the Lord your God, this is, this is Deuteronomy Chapter 8, remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that He might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commandments. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then He gave you manna to eat, which you and your fathers had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out, and your feet did not swell these 40 years. Keep in mind that the Lord your God has been disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Proverbs 3.12 For the Lord disciplines the one he loves just as a father, the son he delights in. In Hebrews, it says, My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son whom he receives. Endure it as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So he's saying if you don't get disciplined by God in some way, shape, or form, you're not sons. God doesn't care about you as He does His sons. He's not working in your life. Verse 9, Furthermore, We had natural fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed seemed good to them. But He does it for our benefit so that we can share in His holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Understanding God's loving discipline of us puts life's difficulties in perspective. 
it, it helps us. We don't always know what's going on. Uh, but another thing that puts, us, puts it in perspective is the affliction, since we're talking about affliction, that Jesus suffered on our behalf. Isaiah 53, verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. There's always a danger. There's always a danger of us talking about our difficulties and our suffering. Yes, it's real. There's real suffering. And there should be comfort in the church. There should be burden bearing in the church. We should not downplay it. But we also live in a very victim minded culture where everybody wants to latch on to something they are suffering from. And this is a form of subtle pride. It, it's a pride and it's a way that we can pout. And we can look at the world and we can look at God sometimes and say, well, this is not how I'm supposed to be treated. I don't deserve this. This isn't fair. I'm the victim. And yes, we do suffer, and the Bible is full of ways that we come alongside one another and we, and we accurately handle the suffering that we endure. But for the Christian, one of the things that helps us so much and protects us from this victim mentality is to realize that no one was afflicted like Jesus. Our Savior, not only did He receive affliction when He didn't do anything wrong, but He received affliction that we caused. We weren't the victim, we were the victimizer. It was our sin that put Him on the cross. And this has a great humbling effect in our lives and, it, and it, should turn, it should turn our hearts to Christ and it should make us love Him more and it should make us look at Him and say, wow, He did that for me. Jesus Christ died for sinners and I'm one of those. And He died for me. So I think this is a great thing to remember the afflictions of our Savior to help us balance how we see our own James said, rejoice when you meet trials and temptations of various kinds because of what they produce in you. Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for good to them who know God, who love God and are called according to His purpose. God's working something out. It's not meaningless. It's not pointless. God has a plan for His children, for His people. And He's disciplining us for our good. Number three, God's people declare Him good. Not only uh, does the Word display His integrity, God disciplines those He loves, but God's people declare Him good. If you love Him and His Word, you'll do what this psalmist is doing. In verse 65, he says, You have dealt well. In 66, he says, Teach me good judgment. In 68, he says, You are good and do good. In 71, he says, It is good for me that I was afflicted. And so you see this man as he's, as he's crafting this song and as he's singing this song, his contemplation of praise, his realization of blessing. This is so needed in a culture that, that acknowledges its blessings but leaves out the blessing giver. And so we are a thankful people to nobody. We are a blessed people without cause. And we have to be on guard that we are constantly giving God the glory and the credit. 
I just want to I I I say something I was thinking about. I, I mentioned this at our, our nursing home service uh, last Sunday, and it's really, it's really been an important thought in my mind, and um, hopefully it will be in yours as well, but I love living in America. Today's Super Bowl Sunday. Some of you are going to watch the Super Bowl. How many of you plan on watching the Super Bowl? Any of you? Two of you? How many of you couldn't care less? How many of you like Super Bowl food, but you could care less about the game? Okay. All right. So um, I might watch some of the Super Bowl with, with the kids or something, but um, with the family. I love living in America. We have a, this freedom here we have is, is a blessing. It's unique. The, the founding of this nation, how the Bible is ingrained in, in our founding documents and in our history. I mean, we had a Congress that printed Bibles doesn't mean that they were they believed the same thing we did but i'm just saying we had tremendous religious freedom here we have the great freedom to declare god good but you know what you know what's so sad and shameful what if we got to the end of our life and we look back and we realized that we didn't use that freedom the freedom that people make a big deal about and they should about veterans dying to provide this freedom for us and yet we have church members that are silent when it comes to speaking up for their God, declaring His glory, proclaiming His salvation to others, declaring of His goodness. One day this country may look different. This country could be like the rest. This country could fall. It may not be eternal as some think. And we might not have the freedoms that we have. And so it's such a great responsibility and it's so much more important for us to speak now while we have that freedom from God to declare His goodness. Do you agree? So let's use our freedom. Are we letting a day go by? What if, what if it was the last day of your life and you didn't say anything about God? What if God was left out of the last day of your life? How would you feel? The God that's given us life and given us so much. I think this is so huge. I think this psalmist is, he's declaring it. He's singing it. No matter what the cost. I realize there are ways we can humbly brag on ourselves and we can, we can use our blessings to ultimately lift ourselves up. And, and that's bad also. But nothing should keep us from giving God the glory and the credit in our lives and declaring His goodness as this psalmist is. You know, it's kind of like um, you probably met a kid, a child. I'm sure there are no children like this in this room, but you probably met a child that's received so many gifts that he forgets to say thank you. He's just used to it. It's business as usual. I know we can get that way with God sometimes. He's blessed us so much and we just expect it, but we've stopped proclaiming. We've stopped thanking. We've stopped declaring His goodness and His glory. So let's have the mind of John the Baptist, who had, who had popularity and had success in what he was doing. And yet he said, there is one coming after me who I am not worthy to untie his sandal. He must increase and I must decrease. Give God the glory in your life. Declare his goodness to everyone. Number four, God's people desire more of his word. Desiring his word is in a great sense desiring God himself. Three times the psalmist mentions his desire to be taught or to learn God's Word. He expresses his desire to live by God's Word when he mentions that he believes it, he keeps it, he observes it. He's saying it's a part of me, it's a part of my life. I, 
I live it out. Verse 70, he sings about his delight in God's laws. He sings about it. In verse 72, he concludes the section saying, and this is so scandalous, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Friends, in America, we are in danger of the same form of religion that the Pharisees practiced. An outward manifestation of righteousness and ritual without the internal life of Christ. We can come to services to be seen or to fulfill our duty or to practice our habit. We can even be fed uplifting and practical principles and truths from a preacher. But here we see something different from the psalmist. His love of the Lord, his love of the Word has gone from the public to the personal. This is a public song, but this is something personal to him. It is, it is from his soul. It is from the root of who he is. It's in his DNA. He's speaking of what he desires. He's speaking of what is worth, what, what is worthy to him. And he says, I desire his Word more than all the money you can give me. I delight in it. What an obsessive statement i'll close by telling you a, a a story since it's super bowl sunday last night the family and i we 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 uh we caught we didn't know this was going to be on but we saw there was this maybe some of you watched it but there was a, a little documentary about tom brady's jersey being stolen after super bowl 51 and it's a weird thing for us to sit down and watch but it was just very fascinating, and it was, it was pretty well done the way they did this, but Tom Brady, after he won Super Bowl 51, he, um, he takes his jersey off, and he sends it back, and it's in his locker, and, and he, he puts it in his bag. And later on, he can't find it. It's gone. It turns out also that, that this had happened before in Super Bowl 49. He, he lost that jersey as well. Somebody took it. And so... Since he, he didn't tell anybody about the Super Bowl 49 jersey, but he told somebody about this jersey. And so um, the Patriots and law enforcement and even the FBI got involved trying to figure out what happened to this jersey. And they discovered that it was, it was a, a man who was a, a, a huge sports collector, memorabilia uh, collector, um, obsessive fanatic guy. He worked at a newspaper in Mexico. And he had credentials to go to these Super Bowls. And, and he's got, in his house, he lives in a modest house in, in, in Mexico. And, but he's got, this, he's got this trophy room, this, this memorabilia room, where he's got all these, these jerseys. He had, he had, Von, Hel, uh, uh, he had uh, Von Miller's helmet from uh, the Super Bowl against the, the, the Seahawks. And, and he had jerseys, he had Tom Brady's jersey. And it comes to find out that, that he had credentials to go to these Super Bowls as, a, as part of the press. And he's got all these pictures from years and years of going to the Super Bowl and taking pictures with, with these sports giants. And eventually, his obsession got out of hand, and he began trying to steal uh, memorabilia. And he got caught when he stole Tom Brady's jersey from Super Bowl 51. He knew he was going to get caught. He knew it had gotten out of control, but he had, he had to try anyway. And so they've got it all on video. It's very fascinating how they figured it out. This little man, he's a husband and a father. And he stole this jersey, a sweaty, grass-stained, greasy jersey, hadn't been washed, off of the quarterback's back. He had to have it so bad. And he risked his job. He lost his job. He risked relationships. 
Has it ruined a lot of friendships? He put his family's reputation in danger. He couldn't go back to any more Super Bowls. He lost his credentials. And he could have gotten jail time, but Brady didn't file charges and didn't press the Mexican government to, to do much to him. But all that to say, here we have a piece of sports memorabilia, a, a sweaty jersey off of somebody we think's famous, and this guy was so obsessive that he was ready to risk, he was ready to plan, he was ready to dedicate himself to getting that treasure. Now contrast, what he did was wrong, what he did was sinful. But where is our obsession with the Word of God? Are we risking anything? Are we, are we putting any kind of discipline in our life? Do we treasure it at all? Or is our mindset, would we rather have the Brady jersey? Would we rather have this, the sweaty cultural artifact? Would we, would we rather have the money? Would we rather have whatever? The time? Or, or do we feel like the psalmist? And can we say, God, I desire Your Word more than anything because it's Your voice and I desire You. If not, this morning's a perfect day to get right. This morning's a perfect morning to say, God, I need a bigger hunger for your word. I need your help. Will you do that this morning? Bow with me, please. As our musicians come, maybe there's somebody in this room, Lord, that uh, they need you, and they need your son for salvation. God, help them to cling to Christ, to repent of their sin and put their faith in Him, and be saved. Maybe there's somebody in this room this morning, God, they've been out of Your Word for a while. Or maybe they've never had a habit of being in it. Maybe their, their heart is cold. Their desires are cold. And maybe they, they can't say what the psalmist says. Would You change them today? Would You grow them today? Help them to take a step developing that desire and that mindset and that passion and that obsession that would choose Your Word over everything else. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Great.